that's ridiculous. Why would we have Christianity be the official religion? We don't have a fit an official religion. Indispensably for the, the rights of women in the Muslim world. Yeah. And we're trying to make it into the headquarters of the United Shirts of Bacon. And that's just the start of what's available on the Atheist Oz podcast. I'm your host, Carly Sturgis. Welcome to Atheist Oz, episode eight. We've got a big show for you this month, including an interview with Sam Harris, a chat about the creation of the world's largest skeptic and atheist community centre, and our regular feature, Paul Fidalgo, and of course, Golden Mane. All the details, as always, are available on the Atheist Oz SoundCloud, and you can check it out on the Atheist Foundation of Australia website. Can you help build the world's largest skeptic and atheist community centre? The United Church of Bacon wants to save Magician Penn Gillette's former home, the Slammer, and create the Nevatican. Penn is the vocal half of the Las Vegas Magic Act, Penn and Teller, and for 20 years his former home, the Slammer, has been a retreat of reason in the desert, and the United Church of Bacon wants to keep it that way. They've begun an Indiegogo to create the Nevatican, with a goal of half a million dollars, aiming to save the building and make it a venue for all the faithless. For events, weddings, and meetups. To find out more, I spoke to John Whiteside. He's the founder and Bacon prophet of the United Church of Bacon, and an advisory board member of the Military Religious Freedom Foundation, and an advisory board member of the Secular Policy Institute. Here's John to tell us more. I'm John Whiteside. I'm from Las Vegas, and I'm the founder of the United Church of Bacon. Now, the United Church of Bacon is possibly the best name ever for an institution. Can you tell us about that? Well, it's, it's, it, we kind of picked this name. What, what, what happened was a bunch of us were sitting around at Penn Gillette's house, and Penn is the, the latter half of Penn and Teller. We're sitting around his house talking about religion and just how screwed up some, some churches here that are fundamentalists here in the United States. And we said, let's just come up with a better idea. So we, we came up with the United Church of Bacon, and it's actually... People think that we're against people that are Jewish or uh, or, or believe in uh, are Muslims, but we're not because it actually provokes the conversations because that that'll come out every now and then. But then we say, hey, look, you know, we accept vegetarian baconists, we accept turkey baconists, we don't <laughs> care. It's just a way of um, you know, kind of kind of getting the feel for people on if you don't know anything about something, you should learn something about it, and this is one way that that you can open up. The conversation is just like Christians do when they talk about Jesus and everything else. Yeah. So it's an interesting way to start a conversation, actually. And, we, you know, as you know, we say bacon. We believe in bacon because bacon is real and can be proven to exist in court. So, <laughs> you know, and it's we mock ourselves. We mock others. Uh, we like to have fun. That's our fifth commandment. Our tenant is just to have fun. So um, that's what it's about. Um, it's also got a very serious mission. We, we, any fundamentalists, uh, we really, that's the problem with, with the world right now is fundamentalism and religion. Hmm. So, uh, we try to get along with other people and it, you know, what's so disarming is a smile. Oh. And, uh, and so we're, we're trying and, and there's a lot of people that are angry when they come out as atheists in America because you could lose family, friends, or possibly your job or even more, you know? Hmm. So, um, so it's what we're doing with United Church of Bacon is trying to build a community for those that don't want com- that do want community, and with Penn Gillette's house, and then those that don't want community. Hey, you can continue to listen to Penn Sunday School, and he'll talk about the Church of Bacon every now and then. You can just be yourself and have fun on the internet with the Church of Bacon. So that's basically what what we're about. We're trying to get the whole community together because it's really not that way in the United States. There's so many people that are closeted as atheists. Mm, yeah. So um, we, we hear a lot about you, that. Yeah. About people who right. are often persecuted for their atheism and people talk about how they might not even run for political positions or people wouldn't vote for a politician because they're an atheist, which is a bit odd for us since we've had a number of uh, agnostic and atheist prime ministers. Oh, and leaders I, I absolutely over here. am well aware of that. Yeah. I, I like to spend a lot of time in Australia. In fact, <laughs> furniture, my furniture, uh, you might, you guys might've heard that of this place over there. It's in uh, Fremantle. It's called Port Jara Furniture. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, wow. And all, I got all my furniture delivered about a year ago, and uh, it's just beautiful stuff. So, <laughs> you know, I, I walked in that shop, and I said, this guy's a real craftsman. 
And uh, the order factor, and it's in Las Vegas now. So. This podcast is in no way associated with the promotion of any furniture shop. I just like to point out. <laughs> We would like to promote the Church of Bacon because you don't only just say, hey, let's see if we can unite together as atheists. You also have a, a bunch of activities and a new uh, venture on the horizon, don't you? Yes, and that's basically getting a home for the church. It's grown to over uh, 12,000 mem- members, and I just can't do it even with a couple of people. So uh, what we're trying to do is we're trying to establish a headquarters where we can do weddings, memorial services, and things like that. Because one reason the church grew uh, so rapidly this summer is that we started, or they got into the press that we were doing weddings for free, which is still going to be true even if we buy Pentelet's house, which is nicknamed the Slammer. Mm. He's a magician here in, in Las Vegas. In fact, the longest-running act is Penn & Teller, as many people know. Um, but we're going to uh, – he's just – basically, it would be more – the. the the house, he moved into a family-friendly neighborhood, and the house that he moved from looks like it was built by a magician mm. or a six-year-old. <laughs> it's a beautiful house. It's an amazing house. And it's had so many people there uh, talking, uh, so many speakers and things. You know, uh, Richard Dawkins has stayed there. Lawrence Krauss has stayed there. Um, everybody stayed there, basically. Uh, Bob Dylan's played there, you know, things like that. So it's a very nice place, and we're trying to make it into the headquarters of the United Church of Bacon and also a place for the Las Vegas Coalition of Reason to have free meeting space. You know, we're making it into a community center, and the community center, if we, if we get this going, is going to be called uh, the Nevadican because we're <laughs> here in Las Vegas, Nevada, and uh, we just think that's a pretty cool name. Um, it's a great name. What a what a great yeah. idea. And I've seen images of the place. I've never actually been myself. I've been to Las Vegas twice but never managed to get over there. Uh, it's been a private house, which I guess is the reason why not many people have seen it. And I guess it raises the question, why doesn't Penn just give it away to the atheists? What, what's going on that has led to a, a fundraiser for it? Well, there's there's been a little bit of mis- misconception. You know, I've uh-huh. heard that in the press. Why doesn't Penn just get, he is giving it to us? Okay, <laughs> this is the deal. We we are trying the the property actually is actually worth it's about eight and a half acres worth uh, three million about three million two two point five to three million dollars. Uh-huh. And um, we this summer we got investors to buy the land around the Slammer slash Nevadican, the proposed new community center. And so we've got people buying the land around it and holding on to it, hoping this idea is going to work and we can expand it. Maybe we can possibly, as a Church of Bacon, eventually start buying the land. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is it would have been all torn down and the developers would have been building uh, you know, monopoly houses. Yeah. So, uh, so we're trying to prevent that and we're also trying to establish a home. And he's given us the property. He's going to keep the slammer himself. All we have to do is raise enough money to renovate it and to keep it running for three or four years until we get established on our feet. So we're uh, doing a Indiegogo fundraising campaign to raise half a million dollars. And that's a lot of money, but at the same time, you you, got to realize this place has been there in the desert. And Penn Penn Gillette actually knew that he's going to be moving into a more family-friendly neighborhood for his kids. And um, he pretty much knew the land was worth more than the house, so it's got a lot of renovations. It needs to be painted. We need to, you know, have parking. The A-frame portion of the house needs a new roof. Um, And then we need operating income, you know, to get it established. And uh, we think it's a very viable project. This is a – Las Vegas is the uh, wedding capital of the world. Yes. And we're doing weddings, and the weddings – can still be for free. If you want to have it in a, a scenic location around Las Vegas, we'll provide um, the uh, minister to do that, or actually officiant is what we call them. We actually call our ministers friars. Okay, so <laughs> of course, have, the bacon, yes. Yeah, we have 2,000 friars, and they do free services anywhere they are. That's the one requirement is they can't charge money for the services. So the services will always be free, but as a venue to have a wedding at the Vatican, we'll establish a very friendly price for atheists and uh, skeptics that would like to have this type of venue to have their wedding. Mm. So 
Um, that's one thing we're going to do with it. Like I said, the other thing is community. Yeah. And all the Las Vegas Coalition of Reason uh, community community uh, organizations can do things like Sunday Assembly. They have a very active Sunday Assembly here in Las Vegas. Right. We have one in they, They're awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I like that. Uh, it's If you like community, that's a really good way to meet people. And um, that's one of the purposes, again, is, is building this community center, to, to have the community, uh, the various organizations meet and know each other, have a place to go to have fun. And, of course, this is open to anyone who would like to donate to the Indiegogo. I'm pretty much on the opposite end of the planet, but I've donated or promoted as many fundraisers as I can all over the place. And this is an opportunity for anyone to say, hey, yeah, America needs a good new atheist base. Let's see if I can help out by throwing a few dollars your way. What sort of things can people get as a, a reward for helping out the Kickstarter for the United Church of Bacon's new home? Well, right now we've got, we're building the, the Nevatican wall. Ah. So we're, we're building a wall with bricks on it that you can put your own slogan on. Or things, just real simple things. Uh, we have a special edition Nevatican t-shirt uh, that's that's kind of cool and it's it's on the website the indiegogo site uh just any just about anything there's things that uh, you can download a get out of hell free card <laughs> you, know, you know things like that you know and we might we might actually start doing little plastic ones uh people seem to like that but there's right now about 14 um uh things that you can get some of them aren't anything of course you know uh a prayer <laughs> <laughs> But still, it's nice to think that someone cares enough about my donation to say a few words for me. I mean, that's the whole – I think that's the gesture that you're meant to say about prayers in general if you're not actually right. so sure about their efficacy. Yeah. Right. So, But uh, we hope to get – we're having a big party uh, the 25th. It's going to be after – some of you might know Penn's Sunday School, the podcast that Penn Gillette has. And that's the other thing. He'll continue to do his podcast from there because he is our official Sunday School teacher. Uh, the United Church of Bacon, he's approved and sanctioned as our Sunday school teacher. So uh, starting with that, next Sunday, the 25th, we're going to uh, be uh, having a little party. And I've, I've already purchased uh, put 132 slots on public radio here in Las Vegas um, to advertise this party. And uh, there'll be comedy, uh, possibly magic acts, a band, free barbecue, so that's we're hoping to get the word out that way because you know the initial reaction to this was um, a little bit disappointing, but it was because of the way we were marketing it. We were, we were trying to say we want three million dollars, even though we were asking for five hundred thousand on Indiegogo. Everybody knew that it took takes about two point five to three million dollars to buy the place. Mm-hmm. So they're thinking we're trying to buy it, and um, we would like to buy it. If, if we had more than $500,000, we'd put it towards equity, but that's not necessary. Penn's told us that he'll hold on to the place as long as we can pay the electric bill. So um, that's great. That is you know? really great. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing um, how this turns out. It sounds like a, a wonderful idea, and quite frankly, anything that has uh, bacon associated with I'm kind of for my, my vegetarian friends will be quite mortified. But, yeah, I'm sorry. I love bacon, and, and I really support atheism. So this will be something great to look forward to. It'll be wonderful to return to Las Vegas uh, one of these days and, and see it for myself and see it being there for everybody. Yeah. We would love to have you here. And you could, you could also probably do a podcast from here. Oh, let's get all the something. podcasters involved. Yeah, come on, podcasters. Throw a few dollars their way. Let's do it. Awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank okay. you so much, John. Thank you. I enjoyed speaking to you. Take care. And now here's a regular feature on the AFA podcast, Golden Mane with his fulmination. It's not uncommon in discussions or debates to be faced with allegedly scientifically accurate claims purported to support some religious or ideological position. It's also not uncommon for such claims to turn out upon examination to be out of knobshite for one reason or another. I'll give a couple of examples. Ken Ham, who bills himself as Dr. Dino and has no academic qualifications beyond some shit he bought from the saddest little diploma mill on the prairie. Seriously, if you want to read an example of what the thesis isn't, you can find his sub-fifth grade level attempt online. has a long history of claiming to do science, which in his world is defined as making shit up because God and calling it science. 
this is the bloke who had to go to the US to establish his fucking anti-intellectual mission because Australia has a well-supported public school system and even in Queensland he couldn't find enough rubes to make a living peddling young earth creationism. This is a man either so profoundly intellectually stymied by dogma or so fucking stupid that he doesn't understand that you can't discriminate against people based on religion if you're a profit-making organisation, as inscribed in US federal law, still applies to his organisation, even if they claim to also be doing religious shit with their other organisation. This is also the bloke who is so utterly ignorant of radiometric dating principles and practice that he's still calling it carbon dating and asking us why carbon dating doesn't date dinosaur fossils at 65 million years old. Pro tip for those in the cheap seats like me, radiocarbon dating cannot be accurate past about 60,000 years. There's no reason you'd try to use it to date dino fossils. It'd be like trying to use my cock to measure a 747. It's far too small and that's not what it's for. Another example is one that comes up in different forms fairly regularly and that's the whole DNA is too complex to have arisen by chance one. There are so many things wrong with this argument that it's actually difficult to unpack them all and I have limited time so I won't address them all here and now but I'll touch on a couple because why the fuck not. This argument is almost always, in my experience, supported by reference to some mathematician who did the calculations. Firstly, that's bullshit. The mathematician cited never existed, nor did they do any such calculation. Secondly, even if he had both existed and done the calculation, he would have been calculating a nonsense probability. The argument is, predicted upon, is predicated upon the notion of modern human DNA as it currently exists. Though which modern humans is left unspoken, spontaneously formed as an entire molecule, presumably in some form of primordial soup. This is a fucking stupid thing to try and base a probability calculation on because we know that DNA didn't fucking arise in that manner, be it DNA of modern humans or of any other animal. It's the equivalent of arguing that Dennis Cometo didn't win a fucking marathon because humans can't run at light speed. Life on Earth rose roughly 4 billion years ago, roughly half a billion years after the planet formed. The first life was probably something that would spark considerable academic debate about whether it was actually life at all. Hell, we're still arguing about viruses. But one thing that's pretty certain is that DNA wasn't the start, and absolutely you'd be struggling to identify much, anything much during the Cambrian that looked like modern DNA, human DNA. The other thing that's pretty fucking clear is that we're talking about half a billion years of massively parallel processes. Half a billion years is a fuck-off long time. It dwarfs the weight at the post office. And that massively parallel process consists of billions of chemical interactions occurring every goddamn second in every environment available in and on the planet. That's easily enough interactions to lead to life happening, and I haven't even touched on lipid bubbles. The thing that really shits me about this is that the people who spout this utter, utter, uh, utter cocktardery in the name of their god seem to be utterly blind to the fact that we live in an age where you don't even need the $1.98 of late fees to access world-class education, and even better, investigate the bullshit claims they make. If you tell me that some dentist in Ohio has discovered that sucking cat shit cures cancer, I can simply spend a little time learning about cancer and cat shit, and it won't take me long to learn enough to dismiss this claim as batshit fucking nuts. And there's one thing that shits me even more. The thing that shits me supreme about this is that these arguments even claim scientific authority at all. Completely happy to outright dismiss anything science tells us when in dispute with your ideology, the second you find something you can twist to seem, that seems to support it, you're all about science. A polite suggestion on this point. Kindly fuck off. Nothing we have learned from science supports your egocentric, fucktarded claims, and if you actually respect science as much as your dishonest misciting of alleged scientific papers suggests, you'd actually take the time to learn about it. This fulmination has been brought to you by I'm not a scientist, but I'm also not a dickhead. Fidalgo is our international correspondent on the show. He is the communications director for the Skeptic and Humanist Organisation, the Centre for Inquiry, where he writes the daily news roundup, The Morning Heresy, amongst a bazillion other things. He blogs at iMortal over on the Patheos Network, and even the GOP debate wouldn't be giving him a warm kiss. Welcome, Paul. What's happening in the world? <laughs> oh, well played, well played. <laughs> uh, uh, what is happening in the world? Lots is happening in the world, and uh, most of it's happening in our presidential election, and oh. uh, that, that's how I like it. Jeffrey Taylor is, um, at Salon has been looking at the political landscape with some troubling polling on Americans' feelings about being a Christian nation. Indeed. Ew, that doesn't look like fun at all. And, of course, with politics on the horizon, 
with a presidential election is that really doesn't make people feel comfortable, does it? Yeah, it's it's an interesting thing that he he cites here. Uh, Taylor cites a poll from the uh, public policy polling, um, which is sort of a left leaning uh, a polling organization uh, that shows that forty four percent of the Republican Party here in the states uh, favors uh, installing Christianity as the United States official religion. Um, that's not surprising to me. Um, 28% of Democrats uh, and uh, 32% total. And uh, so on the whole, 43, sorry, 53% of Americans generally oppose uh, calling Christianity the official religion of the United States. Now, oh, that's not the piece, too bad. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's not, it's not that frightening as far as, um, you know, w- what you might expect. And so Taylor's piece specifically that you cite from, I think it's from Salon, uh, it's a very polemical piece. So uh, let's not get too excited about what this, these numbers actually say. Because while I, I'm not happy with the idea that there's 44% of one of the two major parties who would like to see Christianity as the official religion, and there's not like an overwhelming American response, you know, I would be much more comfortable if there's 60 or 70% of Americans saying, you know, uh, no, that's ridiculous. Why would we have Christianity be the official religion? We don't have an official religion. Mm. Uh, We have no idea what uh, regular Americans who are answering these polls really think that means when they say, yeah, let's make Christianity the official religion. Um, Let's I mean, make mum happy and let her know that, you know, her church is safe. Maybe something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, can, it could be a completely benign kind of thing to them. I mean, th- I mean think about uh, – and I don't know if this is the same for you guys uh, in Australia. But here, uh, the NFL, the NBA, all of our sports organizations, the Olympics, they always have like, this is the official snack product of the NFL. And this is the <laughs> official cheese spread of the NBA. You know, we have official stuff of something all the time and it's meaningless. So I'm not, not saying that these people think that it's a meaningless distinction. But to say that something is the official X of Y – doesn't really carry as much weight as I think uh, some people might be taking this. Um, so I would not jump to the conclusion that it means that a third of the United States population wants, you know, priests and reverends running the country on biblical literalism, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, many do want that, and men, and there are far too many who do want that, and there are far too many who wield legitimate political power. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think this is getting a little bit too excited about one particular survey. I don't think it tells us anything we didn't really already know about the uh, uh, Americans' attitudes toward, toward Christianity. You just have to remember that uh, to most Americans, uh, it's a, Christianity is a benign – they think of it as a kind of a benign cultural thing. It, I mean they didn't ask should Catholicism specifically – Mm. or or uh, Lutheranism or anything like that be the official religion. They just said Christianity generally. Um, and so there's really not much that we can learn from that besides the fact that, oh, you know, newsflash, most Americans are Christian. Mm. The official sponsoring Jesus cracker of the nation. Wow. Ooh, that's good. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of slightly crackers, uh, a psychic has sued New York State for not giving him the reward money he says he allegedly deserves for helping catch prison escapees. Uh, and as you've said on the Morning Heresy, insert didn't he see this coming joke here. <laughs> now, uh, whilst that seems amusing to me that someone honestly thinks, oh, yes, I deserve a, a, a payback for this, it's mm-hmm. it's – always been a worry for me psychic saying that they work with the police since we've mm-hmm. had a serious case over here in my town where um, psychics were very distressing to families and even uh, profiting in one case by claiming that they knew who the murderer was and doing right. a great big exhibition claiming that the police weren't doing their job and stuff and it always irks me when you have people who claim to have psychic power saying that they work with police all the time and the police always seem to put out notices saying no you don't. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it, I mean, it, it, it's again, this is not news, but that psychics, you know, I, I call them fake psychics. I can never just say psychics because mm. I'm afraid if I say psychics, people will think I mean someone who actually has psychic power. It always so, seems to be a fascinating thing. People will turn around and say, oh, we think they're fake psychics, but real psychics would never ask for cash. They right, just go out as and though do there it. are real ones, right? Yeah. You know, as though, yeah, as though there's like some distinction. So, mm. I mean, when we all say psychics, we all think, you know, we roll our eyes and know that it's a fake psychic. But I feel like I need to be, be specific. Absolutely. Fake psychics yeah. uh, 
prey upon those who are most vulnerable, right? Those who are in the most emotional distress, in the most uh, uh, state of stress, um, because they are desperate for help beyond everyday means. And so, of course, they're going to be attracted to, uh, like, you know, moths to a flame to these kinds of cases. This individual case, um, I don't know if uh, you folks are familiar with this, but a few months back, there were a couple of uh, very violent criminals, I suppose, who escaped from an upstate New York prison. And there was like a, a long manhunt. It was national news. It actually was happening while we were having our conference in upstate New York. Uh, so that was exciting. I thought maybe they would show up. Oh, um, God. No. <laughs> um, but uh, so I, I want to take this particular psychic uh, at their word, actually. So let's assume that uh, all the predictions that this psychic says – uh, they made. They said they called the governor's office, right? And they said, like, I, I told the governor that I made these predictions and I had these psychic intuitions, and uh, that's why you owe me the reward money. So let's let's take that as read that he he actually did indeed call the governor's office and and made these particular uh, predictions. Let's look at what they actually predicted. This is as reported by the local news outlet WKTV. Uh, he said that the inmates. He knew that the inmates were separated. Well, I mean, it's not all that remarkable that during a heated prison escape, they might find cause to separate for any number of reasons, you know, for personal reasons, for tactical reasons, for whatever. Um, so that's like a coin flip, right? That's 50-50. Like they're together or they're not. Well, they're that's not, not a big deal. Yeah. Hmm. Um, he said that uh, he predicted that or or what, what, how would you put it? He sensed that the police were walking right by where the men were hiding. And I think – uh, well, yeah, that's why it's called hiding. People tend to walk right by you when you're doing a good job hiding, right? So that's uh, that doesn't tell me anything. Um, and another another uh, uh, intuition was that uh, one of the men was headed for the mountains in a clear river. Again, that's exactly what you would do if you were escaping from prison in upstate New York and you were you know had nothing on you. You needed water. You needed a place to get away from everybody. You would head toward the river where there's water and mountains where people couldn't get to you. So yeah. I. So even if we take this person at their word that they did indeed provide this information, this is not information that you could not have guessed anyway. So it's it's just laughable on its face. I do want to address your issue about police, though, in general, because I can't say, you know, obviously whether police as a whole endorse this kind of thing. But as you said, uh, I, I am very skeptical that they ever would. Now, local police are not scientists, right? Mm. They're they're just people. So uh, the chances are that there are individuals within various departments, uh, within various police forces, uh, who perhaps when they are desperate might, you know, quote, endorse a psychic who might, you know, be just desperate to to get any help that they can get. But like you said, anytime I ever hear of a psychic claiming credit like this kind of thing, like saying that they've been instrumental in solving a case, mm. you never hear the department say like, oh, yeah, we definitely relied upon uh, – Madam Crazy Pants, and she really helped us find this thing. Um, it doesn't make them look good, right? No. Why would they want to do that? Just, I mean, not. I mean, not only because they look silly to us, right? But it speaks to their own inability to do their job without help from you know magic people. So that's an excellent I, point. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think even if even if they were considering going to someone like a fake psychic, I I can't imagine that they would even ever want to publicize that because it just shows that a, a, a weakness that they have in their own ability to to solve a particular crime. Mm -hmm. You know, but they're just people. They're just people. So yeah. who knows? I have a weakness for science fiction shows where there's psychics and stuff like that. And occasionally they do things like solve crimes. So, well, yeah. sure. If you really had psychic powers, absolutely. You'd recruit those people like crazy, right? I mean, mm. you have the FBI knocking down their doors, right? Yeah. Yeah. But unfortunately, we still have opportunities for people to be tested and we really haven't found much evidence yet. But hey, you know, they can always apply. Hey, get your friends to apply sure. if they think it's, it's probably happening. all a conspiracy that they're all just being hidden by the government who employs all the psychics and don't let anybody reveal themselves. Dude, to the you public. just spoiled the plot of my second science fiction novel. Thank you so much. Thank oh, you. Oh, gosh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> just to edit that part out. <laughs> uh, and finally, NSAF. Hida is reporting that floggings might very soon resume for her husband, Rafe Badawi. We've not confirmed this, apparently. It's very difficult to know what's going on over there in Saudi Arabia. But we do know that he's recently won a human rights prize, which hopefully puts more pressure on them to let him go. So I wish I do wish I had more to say about the Badawi situation than I actually do. Mm. But as you said, it's really, really uh, murky. Uh, Saudi Arabia is very much aware that they are being watched on this issue and they are – 
remarkably defensive about it. If you've seen some of the uh, statements that they've put out, it's yeah. been very combative. Like, how dare you interfere in our internal affairs? Get away from us, you Western pigs. You know, um, that's a paraphrase. That's not a direct quote. Huh. Um, I, I can't translate from the Arabic. So, uh, but any information that we get is often uh, secondhand or thirdhand at best. It's just people hearing things, you know. Uh, at one point at, at the Center for Inquiry, we had a direct line to uh, Raif Badawi himself while he wow. was in prison. Um, we don't have that anymore for wow. reasons that aren't worth going into. Um, now, so I hope that uh, his wife is wrong. Uh, I hope that she is just getting bad information, that floggings are not going to continue. She really believes that if they do – uh, that that could be fatal to him, um, but we just we just can't know. Um, but his winning this prize is 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 significant. Yeah. Um, I don't want to overstate it because again, the Saudis are very combative about this thing. But this is a big one. It's not the Nobel Prize, which a lot of people were hoping for. Mm. Um, but it is a big one, and it and it does more to pressure the Saudi government. That's true. Uh, and just as a c- kind of contrarian position, I do sometimes worry that they might decide to do their worst to him just to show the rest of the world that they won't be influenced by us. You know, right Mm. now they're, yeah, they're getting set to crucify a guy. I don't know if you heard about this. No, There's a young fellow. um, His name is Ali uh, Al-Nimer. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Please forgive me if I am mispronouncing it. Um, But his crime is similar to Raif's. He was, uh, he didn't run a website, but he was at a protest, an anti-government rally. Um, So he's being arrested for this and they're going to, apparently, he's been sentenced to a beheading and then a crucifixion of his body to, you know, show everybody how, how not to behave in Saudi society. So... These kinds of things are very hard for us to contemplate from here, but this is this is really how it works there. So, you know, um, I hope I hope Raif is not in for another uh, set of lashings. We've been at the Center for Inquiry; he's been a a, a core focus of our efforts. But uh, the, the fact is that they Saudi Arabia's uh, mindset is is just extremely different than than ours, and it's and it's hard to know what exactly is going on there. But uh, I, I want to think the best, but I think we also have to assume the worst sometimes. Yeah. Well, we have to keep on with the attention and keep on yes. making the signal. And I'm very glad that groups like the Center for Inquiry keep on doing that. And, it's- and more to the point of uh, trying to pressure Saudi Arabia, we need to pressure our governments yes. to pressure Saudi Arabia. Because I don't think Saudi Arabia cares so much necessarily what we say on Twitter – but if uh, you know the governments of the of, of Australia and of the United States and Canada and UK are getting involved, then we then it's possible we could have an impact. Yeah, come on, step up, Australia. Let's do something about this. Yeah, seriously. Ah. And I'll squish this one in before we go. Uh, it may not be surprising, but research shows that a fearful disposition and belief in the paranormal are closely associated. This got to me because I actually did my research into beliefs in the paranormal, and though I mm. didn't find, well, I didn't look at levels of anxiety and belief in the paranormal, uh, 41.4% recently in a survey discovered that Americans think ghosts are real. And so, so yeah, it brings up a, a larger question in regards to is it a benefit to dispel fears when so many people cling to the paranormal? Are we doing people a favor by going around ghost busting and stuff like that? Uh, what's your take on it? Well, isn't that isn't that interesting though? That that fear, it, that just generalized fear, is so central to this, and 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 even more interestingly, that education level. So let, let me dig into this a little bit. Okay. Um, so as you said, there's a uh, 41.4% of Americans, they say in this survey, uh, believe in th- that places can be haunted by spirits, mm. which is troubling that people that there are that many people that actually believe that. I, I, if pressed, again, I'm very skeptical of a lot of these surveys, and I and I and I wonder if pressed people really would would believe that. But we take them at their word for now. Um, they have 26.5% who say that the living and the dead can communicate. That's a, that's a bit higher than I'm comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Um, but any otherwise, a smattering of unsurprising findings about people who believe in things like Bigfoot, alien visitors, astrology hovers around 13 to 20%. I don't, that doesn't surprise me at all. No, um, no that's pretty standard for what's happening over in Australia, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's, I mean, you're always going to find 20% or less of people who believe in, you know, insert crazy thing here. So that's always there. Um, now, Apparently, as you said, the survey found a statistically significant correlation between being generally fearful and believing in the paranormal. So 
what does that fear come from? So fear often comes from the unknown, right? Mm. So uh, what you don't know about or understand or you don't recognize, you, you see as a possible threat. So you fear it. And the researchers, and here's what's really interesting to me, researchers say these fears correlate with lower levels of education. So if you're less schooled, you're more likely to buy into the paranormal and even be afraid of things like clowns. They pointed out like clowns or something they were afraid of. So if you haven't been given critical thinking skills through education of some sort, you have fewer tools at your disposal to kind of parse nonsense from sense and threats from non-threats. So, I mean, just from my own experience, I'm a very fearful person. I'm afraid of everything. Um, but I don't believe in any of this stuff now. But when I was uh, younger, I was very easily wooed and attracted to paranormal explanations for things, you know, I, I just because I didn't have the tools at the time that I needed to understand why they were bad explanations for things that were going on. Hey, we're so, still interested in them now. We're educated. So, yeah, there's something mm -hmm. something interesting about it. Full stop. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And that. Yeah. So but now that we're if, if we're I'm older, I'm more educated. And so now I have those tools that I can kind of parse those things out. Um, but at the time, you know, if you have fear about the world around you generally, then uh, you can imagine all sorts of scenarios. So the idea that something supernatural is also out to get you just fits the whole picture of a fearful worldview. So that I actually I, – I get. I personally get that. I have sympathy. Well, we've got to be brave about these things and, and continue to communicate them. So hopefully we can help lessen the fear a bit more. It's, it's Well, yeah, and I think that's the key, right? I'm sorry to keep interrupting you. That's um, No, go for it, dude. <laughs> But that, but that is the key, isn't it? That uh, by just making people a little bit more informed and giving them some some critical thinking tools, they are better able to uh, to determine what is a threat and what isn't a threat. And that not just applies to the paranormal, but to people who have fears about particular uh, religious things, theological things, or conspiracies, uh, or uh, political lies, and things like that. So there's a lot of benefit to this kind of thing, and and and. Education dispelling fear uh, is actually a, a, a pretty good panacea for a lot of stuff. Well, I'm so glad that you are part of the panacea by putting out things like The Morning Heresy where you can find out more about the work that Paul does. He also tweets on Twitter on twitter.com forward slash forward slash Paul Fidalgo and you have your own podcast as well which you uh, oh, I got a I got a new ish podcast it's called thinkery it's at thinkerypodcast.com that I do with Brian Hogg and uh, you, you can hear just how afraid of things I am on that podcast <laughs> well let's keep on dispelling fears and getting the information out there and thank you so much for being part of the show Paul all right thank you very much Kylie <laughs> and we're done Bye. oh my goodness did you my my kid came into my into the Yay! office well <laughs> in January 2016, Thinking are bringing to Australia an evening with Sam Harris. Audiences will be engaged with the most celebrated of critical thinkers on the matters of science, spirituality and secularisation in an age where conflict with religion is as amplified as ever. Get your tickets for the shows in Brisbane, Melbourne and Sydney at thinking.org.au forward slash events forward slash Sam Harris. With big thanks to Thinking, I spoke to Sam Harris about what it's been like since he was last here for the Global Atheist Convention and what we can look forward to with the Thinking event. Let's see, what has changed? I guess in that time I've released uh, at least two books. Uh, the, the last was uh, uh, Islam and the Future of Tolerance, which I wrote with my uh, co-author Majid Nawaz. Mm. And um, then before that I wrote a book about uh, meditation and how we can understand spirituality in the context of science. And um, I guess my collaboration with with Majid sort of grew out of my uh, my book tour for the uh, for my book Waking Up, getting interrupted by a collision with Ben Affleck on Bill Maher's show Real Time, and and my whole book tour just got hijacked by um, accusations of Islamophobia and racism. And so I I wrote this book with Majid Nawaz about just how we can talk about the prospects of reform within the Muslim world without uh, aligning ourselves with uh, the real bigots and xenophobes of the world. That's actually a very comforting thing to think that even if a book tour gets hijacked, as you say, it can turn into something constructive. Yeah, yeah, no, it was, you know, it's not exactly how uh, uh, I would have designed it. It's not the constructive <laughs> Criticism I would have uh, uh, designed for myself uh, was I, were I in control, but 
it uh, in the end I think has been useful. Yeah. So what's been the response to the book? How how useful has that been? It's been uh, well, it's it's really run the whole gamut from you know unthinking and. Uh, you know, genuinely imbecilic criticism by people who uh, haven't even read the book but just are uh, opposed to the very fact of our collaboration. Uh, and this comes this comes from both sides: people who think I'm a closet biggest, uh, a closet bigot and xenophobe, and uh, people who think Majid is a closet jihadist and that each has deceived the other, and that our collaboration is is um, just um, deplorable on every level. Uh, but um, then it's people have uh, really understood the spirit of uh, what we're doing, which is to uh, find some pragmatic way to move the conversation forward, which doesn't start at the usual place. I mean, usually what happens is when you talk to a, a moderate Muslim or, or um, one who claims to be one, uh, you get a denial that there's any that there's anything special about Islam at this moment in history, that there's a and that there's any uh, real connection between specific interpretations of the faith and um, uh, specific forms of, of intolerance and violence we see in the Muslim world. And that, and that denial, you can burn a lot of fuel trying to uh, escape the, the gravity of that denial. And, um, uh, and it's really as a, the result of this that most conversations about the problem of political Islam have been quite ineffectual, even in, uh, especially in liberal circles. Uh, but with Majid, he is a former Islamist, a former extremist. He spent uh, nearly five years in an Egyptian prison for his nefarious activities. And now he's a, a counter-extremist. He runs a, a counter-extremist think tank in the UK. And he knows exactly why Islamists and jihadists do what they do. And he knows it has a lot to do with what they believe about the nature of reality, and and they know he knows they draw these beliefs directly from scripture, and so he doesn't deny any of of that, and uh, therefore we could start our conversation from a very different place, which is acknowledging that there is a it is completely legitimate to be especially worried about the um, the social attitudes and um, uh, uh, ideologies within. Uh, uh, Islam uh, at the moment, and uh, and it makes perfect sense to be kept awake by Islam in a way that no one is kept awake by the Anglican Communion or any other religion that that uh, has its own dogmas. It's been a very interesting journey, I would think. Islam and the future of tolerance is what we're talking about. It's a story of interpretation, identity, irrationality, and mm. a lot about constructive criticism and quite a lot about the universality of human rights, whether or not people believe in that or not. What was it like in the process of writing it? I mean, your first interaction with Majid Nawaz was uh, a very a very vibrant and uh, feisty one, I, I, I noticed. Uh, yeah, well, that was our first meeting, which really wasn't a proper meeting, was mm. uh, somewhat... Um, uh, fraught, and it was a bit of a surprise that we ever decided to collaborate again. But uh, so what happened there briefly is he had participated in a debate with uh, my friend Nayan Hirsi Ali, who some of our listeners probably know, who's mm. quite a famous uh, Muslim apostate and an atheist, and who has uh, really campaigned quite eloquently and indispensably for the the rights of women in the Muslim world. Yeah. But who is you know much vilified by Muslims as as a bigot, um, even though she's uh, a Somali who suffered uh, you know, female genital mutilation and has a long list of grievances against theocrats and is still still has excruciating security concerns merely mm. for speaking her mind. So um, she's really a, a true humanist hero, uh, and she was pitted against Majid. Uh, in this in this intelligence squared debate, and that the motion was uh, Islam is a religion of peace, and and Majid had yeah. had uh, uh, been cast to take the the affirmative side of that motion, and and that was a, a kind of a, a box he had been put in. So so he debated on that point, and I felt that his his representation of Islam had just been fundamentally dishonest in that context, and and told him so when when I met him, and and you know things were 
a little heated, and then and then we there were some some years passed, and our, our paths never crossed. Then I saw him in another debate with Ion, where he made very different noises, or or, or mm-hmm. uh, in, uh, crucially different noises on on this point, and. Um, so I reached out to him thinking we could just have a, an exchange on my blog, but it just then it became something so productive that we decided to turn it into a short book. Yeah. How do you deal with criticism? I mean, we're fortunate enough where we both live that we don't have to open the door to be fearful of what's around us, but we certainly can open up a browser window and see how people are treated. And it seems astonishing to me. Here we are in 2015 and it's modern times, and yet we can have so many people being very, very angry at, to the point of uh, we can be quite fearful. How, how do you deal with uh, the tensions that go on? What's your take? Well, well, criticism is fine, yeah. uh, really, no matter how cutting. The, the thing that disturbs me uh, and which I have to deal with mostly is the deliberate misrepresentation of my views. I have many of my most uh, visible critics uh, have a pattern and it's really, it's just, it's a um, uh, now established with absolute clarity of lying about my views in a calculated attempt to damage my reputation. It's it's just an incredibly cynical and um, destructive thing to do. And it actually works. I mean, the, the, yeah. the most frustrating thing is I, I see the evidence of it working. I see that, and I, and I see that it works uh, on me toward other people. Like there, there are people who, you know, I, I am in a similar. I'm fighting in a similar trench with uh, on this particular uh, culture war issue, who I haven't really taken the time. I haven't taken the time to read their books. I'm not so familiar with what they've put out there, and. I noticed that their name is is associated with with a charge of bigotry, um, and uh, they, you know, they've and I I actually can't take the time to figure out whether these charges are true. So I've essentially steered I've steered clear of of being associated with some of these people. I don't forward their articles. I don't I don't um, uh, connect with them and and figure out how to collaborate because. I just don't have the bandwidth to vet them at this point, and that so that's a really it's it's very destructive, and I can see what it's like to be on the on the consumer side of it, mm-hmm. uh, and I know and I absolutely know what's happening to me, and it's simply because someone like Glenn Greenwald or Reza Aslan or Chris Hedges, uh, who are I don't know if they're prominent in Australia, but they're they're reasonably prominent in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, will just get on Twitter and uh, absolutely uh, misrepresent. My views, and and it's a um, it's uh, and and you know I've pushed back against it enough that I I know they're doing it, so it's uh, or I know that they're doing it consciously at this point. So um, that's that's the most frustrating thing. A, a real hard hitting criticism of what I actually believe uh, is, a, is something I absolutely welcome. I've got a few quick ones for you. So what gives you hope then? Mm-hmm. What makes you keep going? Well, I, I you know I don't think of. I don't think in terms of of hope very much. I mean, I don't really think uh, in terms of being an, an optimist or a pessimist on these issues. I just see no alternative but to move forward yeah. in this way and, and and to speak honestly about the the consequences of of ideas and uh, about the difference between believing things for good reasons and believing things for bad reasons and and why that difference is so consequential. And so I I'm just doing. Uh, what I'm doing because I, I really can't uh, see any possibility of doing otherwise. Uh, and I, you know, as far as hope is concerned, I, I certainly recognize that things can change for the better surprisingly quickly. And and this really, we, we can all be blindsided by how quickly certain social gains can be accomplished. Whether it's you know gay marriage in the United States, I mean that that was unthinkable a few yes. short years ago, and all of a sudden it's the law of the land, and and it's. And it really was an experience of almost blinking, and it, and it happened. You know, it, it just looked hopeless until suddenly it was there. And um, you know, the, the the gains we've made about against racism in the West and in the U.S. in particular um, have been enormous. Mm. So um, it's a um, so I think we could we could make the same uh, progress against religion religious demagoguery, but I just don't, uh, you know, I, I certainly don't expect it to happen anytime soon. One final question for you. You're here 
in Australia with thinking an evening with Sam Harris. Your billboards have already gained uh, quite a lot of attention. Um, one person did say to me, oh, Sam Harris is touring. Why should I care? Why, why should we care? Apart from the fact that your billboards have, have certainly made a lot of people care about, oh, what's he going to talk about whilst he's here? Um, well, I, I, I should say that I had no hand in those billboards. Except, no, uh, no, just except, quotes. Just, yeah, yeah just, just being the, the, uh, the, the actual origin of those quotes. The, the quotes are accurate, but I didn't write them for the billboards. But... Um, I, you know, I, I, you know, far be it from me to tell him that he he should care. But if he uh, if he cares to hear an honest conversation on on really a wide range of topics, you know, ranging from um, you know the, uh, a clash of civilizations and all of the the, the culture war issues I, I've engaged, or just um, uh, honest talk about the way in which our, our scientific understanding of the human mind. Is beginning to change uh, uh, how we view ourselves as as subjective creatures, and how we view public policy, and how we should uh, view public policy, and what just what constitutes a a good life. Just the, the, the convergence of of science and and uh, moral philosophy is is an area I spend a lot of time in. Mm. So it's um, I, I'm really going. These are these are largely Q and A sessions. So I, I'm I'm going to just find out what people are interested in and I'll be interviewed on the stage. So it'll, it'll, it'll certainly be, I really can't anticipate all the topics that will come up. <laughs> that sounds challenging in itself. And yeah. considering everything you've said about criticism, uh, I, I guess you're, you're well girded for whatever's going to happen. Yeah. Well, I know what I think. So I, you know, it's, it's <laughs> that's really, always a good way to start. Uh, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> the easiest kind of talk to prepare for. Oh. <laughs> cool. Thank you so much for talking yeah, to me, Sam. Yeah. That's been a pleasure. To finish off, here is the AFA Forum Report, with the return of Forum regular Golden Mane. Yeah, Kylie, this month the Forum has had a bit of an influx of rational refugees, and unlike the Federal Coalition, we don't turn back the boats. Aside from that, probably the two biggest threads have been devoted to the hilarity that ensues when a barely literate Christian seeks to lecture us on matters of science, and the ongoing quest to educate one of the moderators on the sublime complexities of the musical genres of the metal breed. So, if listeners want to come to Come join the, well, I was going to say beating heart, but venting spleen is more appropriate, of Australian atheist activism and take part in the shits and or giggles, they can find us at atheistfoundation.org.au slash forums. Now, I just want to add an apology. I was planning to have for this episode an interview with Jake from the Imaginary Friends podcast, as they call it, but technical difficulties bit that in the arse. They're coming up to the 300th show and name changes in the often, offing, so I wanted to cover that. But it's a bloody entertaining show where they don't swear anywhere near as much as me. So once you've done listening to this and signing up to the forums, go check them out if you haven't already. Hooroo! Atheist Oz podcast episodes are under the Free Commons license. You're free to distribute unedited versions of episodes for non-commercial purposes. If you want to edit the episodes, please contact us. The views are not necessarily representative of the Atheist Foundation of Australia, its affiliates, sponsors or advertisers. Continue the conversation with atheists, the like-minded and the not-so-like-minded at AFA Forums, found at atheistfoundation.org.au forward slash forums, or tweet us at twitter.com forward slash atheistoz. Contact the show at atheistozpodcast at gmail.com.